From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, not today, Satan. (laughs) You know, when uh, we sit down and we pray about and we think through and contemplate what we're going to talk about and what we're going to um, teach on over the next, you know, quarter or what have you. You know, a few things we consider and we pray about, a few things that I sit with the Lord with. And, and you know, a lot of that is, okay, where are we as a church? Where are we going? What are some of the practical things that we just need to do as we mature in faith? And then sometimes God kind of just says, hey, there's, there's a little bit extra here. And this series that we're going to start um, over the, well, today and go over the next few weeks, I say few, but it's probably like six or seven weeks, it's kind of one of those series, those teachings that, that I really felt like the Spirit was saying, hey, we need to go back and look at this. We need to go back and look at what's happening behind the scenes and behind the curtain and kind of recalibrate. So my hope is this morning and over the course of this series is for those of you who know the Lord and you've been walking with the Lord, is you're just kind of reminded and refreshed this morning on something that we face every single day. And for those of you who may be new or this is new to you, that that truth will be revealed to you. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10 is where we're going to begin. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We're going to start a series here looking at Paul's discussion on spiritual warfare And you won't see that word in the scripture, though it's illustrated all throughout. But Paul, here in Ephesians chapter 6, he's discussing the armor of God and the battle that we face. Now, if if you're in this world, which every single person in this room is, you, you are privy to the fact or you are ignorant that we have numerous wars that happened throughout our history. Numerous, numerous wars. Every, every generation, every century has something, it seems, that it goes through. Some nation, some conflict, somewhere. I did a little uh, digging, and today in our world, on our earth, there are what's called six major wars. A major war is any conflict that has 10,000 or more combat-related deaths. And presently, as we, as we discuss, as we meet together today, there are six major wars happening, happening in our world. The, the longest one that dates back to 1948, and it is in Myanmar. It's a, it's a civil war that's happening in Myanmar right now. If you watch the news or you just, you're on social media, the most prevalent one that most of us are aware of is the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. There are 17 wars, 17 wars going on right now, and a, just a war is considered any combat-related death from 1,000 to 10,000 people happening in our world today. There are 20 minor wars. A minor war is any conflict that has 100 or less deaths presently. In total, there are 43 wars right now happening on earth. War isn't just something, though, that it's fought with bows and swords and cavalry and 
assault rifles and tanks and ships and aircraft and bombs. War isn't just fought between countries and militia and groups. War is also fought between institutions and organizations and oligarchs whose weapons will not kill, but whose strategies exist to control and sometimes using manipulation and deception. It's for money. It's for power. Further still, it's not a fight for just land and power, control, or money, but there's a war of ideas. It's for the mind, and it's arguably the largest battle that we all face. It's a battlefield that's fought in politics and education. It's on social networks. It's fought in your home and books and the internet. It divides families, friends. It can divide churches, people. Its desire is for your beliefs and for your will. War is all around us. Deeper still, war is not just what we see and what we hear. War is not just against flesh and blood, but if you're keen enough to follow the yellow brick road and pull back the curtain, Wizard of Oz, anybody? we would see that there is something more happening behind the scenes and behind our senses, that there are forces and powers and rulers and authorities that are at work behind every country, every institution, every power and idea. And it is a war that's not for flesh and blood or against flesh and blood, but it's one for your soul. It's fought in heavenly spaces, and you're right in the middle of it. Every day from the moment that you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, every minute, every hour, every location, every place, this war is fought. The enemy forces are demonic. They're evil. Its leader is the Satan. Unless you take a stand and fight from a place of victory, you will fall victim. And so today and over the course of six or seven weeks, we're going to talk about how to take a stand in this war and how to defend and arm ourselves in this war according to Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 6. If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. You know, as followers of Jesus, as believers, people of God, we are to see the world and conduct ourselves differently in the world. We don't approach things and we don't fight things the way the world does, not predicated on how the world does. And by, by definition, when I say the world, I don't mean the earth. I don't just mean all people on the earth. We mean the society and culture that is setting itself up without God. But we do things differently. We fight a different fight differently. And I think sometimes as believers and as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're trying to fight this different fight the same way the world fights. We're trying to fight this fight, the fight of the world against flesh and blood, the way the world does. But Paul teaches us a little bit something different in Ephesians chapter 6. So here Paul the Apostle, he tells us about this fight, and he tells us how to stand. I want to give you some quick context. He, Paul the Apostle, is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's writing under house arrest. He's writing from a jail, essentially, for preaching the gospel. And he's writing to a church, a people group that um, he had planted, a church that he had planted in Acts chapter 19. We know a lot about this church. Paul established its leadership. It's said to be the mother church of the other six churches that are referenced in the book of Revelation. 
If you remember our series from the book of Revelation, when we talked about the letters to the seven churches, John had a message from Jesus to the Ephesian church, and it was that you lost your first love. And John had warned them from Christ that if they did not return, that Christ would come and he would remove their light. And today, as far as I know it to be, and I can determine, there is not an organized Christian church in Ephesus. It's 99% Muslim, so they did not heed the words of Christ. Paul is writing this letter in, in Ephesians to the church in Ephesus to open their eyes and what it means to be that new humanity in Christ. There's a teacher that I, I like. His name's uh, Daryl Johnson, Bible teacher, pastor. And he said it this way of the Ephesian letter. He said, Paul is giving them an alternate reading of reality. He's trying to teach them to look at reality through a new lens. And when we approach the battle that we face, that is really what we need to do. We need to put on a different set of glasses here. So here's what Paul said, Ephesians chapter 6, starting verse 10. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore... Because of all that, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then. Notice he's, he's giving that kind of command, that directive, stand, stand, stand. There's no word fight here. You know, if I can kind of jump ahead throughout this series and just give you a little treat here. He doesn't say fight, but we fight by standing firm in these things. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. My kids will say, blessed plate, blessed plate. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then verse 18, sometimes this is said as a separate section, but I really believe it's part of this. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Paul introduces us to the armor of God here, and we're going to look at that over the next few weeks. But today, I just really want to create a foundation for our discussion. Immediately, he reveals to us that we are in a conflict. And this conflict is not one between two sets of people, but there's something else deeper and further happening. It takes, again, that different set of glasses to see this conflict. I'm going to say a lot of things today, church, to say one thing. So hopefully you track with me. This is a conflict of powerful spiritual forces, of entities of position and authority in a realm that exists beyond our physical realm that are working against the Lord, his kingdom, and the new humanity that he has created. So Paul says to the Ephesian church, and really to us, to all believers of all time, that our struggles, picture your struggle in your mind, your wrestlings to live as followers of Jesus in a fallen and broken world, 
is because of this battle that wages in a realm that we cannot see. And as people of God, as we move towards Christ and as we grow in Christ and as we move towards his truth and his righteousness and his gospel, as we take on the the shield of faith and the word of God, we will find ourselves deeper in the struggle as we put ourselves more and more at odds with this world. But this fight, in this fight, this is key. We are not struggling against people. It's not against politicians and institutions and corporate leaders and that really bad neighbor and that family member that just pushes your buttons every single time. Though we may see things differently than all those people and all those institutions and all those political ideas, and we may hold a different set of values, you are really not struggling against your spouse, against your kid and your coworker and your boss. There is a fight there, yes, that manifests there, yes, that's not the source. There's a spiritual reality at work behind those physical realities. That's really what Paul is getting at here, right? Behind the curtain, there is a spiritual reality at work. Yes, I think that was mine. <laughs> if you didn't hear online, I just heard a, a child and I pointed out because I think it was my baby and she's cute and I know her voice and she knows mine. She's going, yes, daddy. <laughs> oh, man. Our struggle is, not, is actually not against people, but it's against the devil and his schemes and his dominion and his forces. It's so easy, it's so easy to look at people. It's so easy to look at what you see on the news or what you hear. You know, you're at work and you're, you're struggling and you're wrestling with your boss and what they want you to do, what they don't want you to do and the demands and the pressure. It's so easy to look at all these things as the problem. And that's not to say that people aren't accountable. We are all accountable for our choices and our actions. But we need to pause and we need to step back and we need to think about what is really at work here in this. How much would your life shift if you begin to see every conflict different? How would your relationships look? How would your workplace look? The ones in our world, as we look at the structures of this different systems of government and agency, how would we look at those and approach those if we just paused and said, wait a second, what's actually at at work here? You would approach them differently. You would fight them differently. You'd type differently, keyboard warrior, Facebook, Backspace, (laughs) write a lot, paragraphs maybe, delete, (laughs) write the email, delete the email, don't accidentally send the email, because you'd pause, you'd say, wait a second, there's something more at work. Now, what's interesting is Paul doesn't actually introduce us to the devil, and he doesn't introduce us to the origins of the devil. He He assumes the devil's existence, and he assumes that his readers know the same. That's not unlike our world. And that's not, I think, unlike a lot of people who claim Christianity. C.S. Lewis said there's two extremes when it comes to approaching the devil. The one is to to obsess about the devil 
Everything is the devil. Everything is the devil's fault. You know, I got a bad parking space. The devil did it, right? You do something wrong. The devil made me do it. You purchase something you shouldn't purchase and your, your spouse is upset. And well, the devil, it's all the devil. It's to obsess about the devil. It's to read about the devil. It's to study the devil to an obsessive end. The other extreme is to completely ignore him as if he doesn't exist. And C.S. Lewis said they both are wrong. Our world would say that the devil does not exist that there are not forces outside of nature working against us. People scoff at this idea. And maybe even in your mind, there's a wrestling there with, is this really true? The world, our society assumes that because of enlightenment and progress, that we've moved beyond these religious fairy tales and that those who hold to them are delusional. They're just religious fanatics. But to have a biblical worldview, if you're going to call yourself a follower of Christ and align yourself with Christian values, to have a biblical worldview assumes and understands that in the heavenly spaces beyond what we can physically see, there are powers that are at work. There are authorities. There are structures, just like our own human structures at work behind the scenes. For Jesus, there is a real devil. To say that the devil doesn't exist is to say that Jesus is a liar. Don't like that way. Don't put it that way. I like, I like Jesus, but I just like to determine all these other things aren't true. For Jesus, the devil is real. He was not a fictional character from Harry Potter. He called him the prince of this world three times. He identified him as our enemy, who is a murderer, he said, who lies, as the father lies, and has no truth in him. He called him a thief who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. Peter calls him a lion who prowls around looking for someone to devour and destroy. If you believe in Jesus and you're moving forward in your faith, he is against you, the devil. But Paul is not teaching the Ephesians about the devil. He's just warning them of the enemy's hostility and how to overcome them. Yeah, we know the devil. Here's how you beat him. Here's how you overcome him. Here's how you stand firm against his schemes. You know, it's true that there are human structures that can be very oppressive, just in and of themselves. And there are even non-material, invisible human forces at work. You know how sometimes there's just like an ethos about a people group or a spirit about a people group or kind of takes on an identity of their own. It's not because of any one person, but just the culture of that group can be negative or depressing, and it's kind of just, it's just there. That's true, that those things are there. But what Paul is saying here is that there are powers behind the structure and behind the, the ethos and behind the people that fight in heavenly realms. Now, if we could like look at terms and terminology for a second, often what we do in, in Christianity today is we say that there is earth. This is the physical realm, Right? And then there's heaven, and that's God's throne room. But that's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying the heavenly realms are the spaces where the spiritual operate and exist. Christ is there. His throne is there. The devil and his forces, the fallen angels are there as well. And that is where they fight. That is where they wage war. That is where they are operating right now in the invisible spiritual space that exists all around us. We see this lived out um, before the birth of Jesus in the experiences of Daniel the prophet. If you have a Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 10. 
Daniel had been in prayer and he had been fasting for 21 days. For those of us who think that prayer and fasting does not work, here's a description of it at work and the battle that wages because of prayer and fasting. So Daniel had been praying and he had been fasting for 21 days. And after 21 days, a messenger angel came to him. A, a, a man came to him and, and he had, Daniel describes him as this, you know, man who has had eyes that are flaming, you know, like fire and bright. And, and it appeared to be an angel, a, a heavenly spiritual force. And the angel had told Daniel that God had heard his message. And from the moment that, that, that Daniel had began to pray, the angel was dispatched by God. If you want to know, the word angel actually means messenger. Those who work on behalf of God and minister God's work. An angel had been dispatched. I hear his prayer go, send the message, relay it. But as he had come to bring the message, the angel was held back by one who the angel described as the prince of the Persian kingdom. So on bringing the message in the spiritual reality, a force resisted the angel. God went to, to deliver the message through an angel and something prohibited the message from getting there. You want to you remain persistent in prayer because just you don't get answers right away doesn't mean that God is not at work in delivering answers, but there are other forces that do not want you to receive what God said. So be persistent in prayer. 21 days he was praying and fasting. He didn't stop because he's like, well, God's not answering my prayer. But an angel appeared and said, I, I came on behalf of God. He heard you. He dispatched me to give you a message. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me. Until this, he said. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there. So again, if we could pause, step back, and pull back the curtain on physical reality, what would we see existing here? A battle happening in the heavenly realm. This prince of Persia is this non-human force. It's a fallen angel, a demonic angel, an evil authority who has dominion over the Persian kingdom and is opposing God's messenger. Now, I don't want to get all scholarly. I don't want to get all deep and, you know, kind of get over your head a little bit, but these angels were set up by God to exercise his dominion and authority over the earth. Some were given dominion over spaces, nations, and those rebelled. And so here we have one that was given the space and authority over that area, but rebelled or took it for himself. That's really hard to like imagine, right? And, and receive. Michael, who's a a chief priest is also, or chief prince, sorry, is also a non-human force, an angel who holds greater rank than the prince of Persia. You hear about Michael a lot in the scriptures. The word prince here is where we get our word for principality. So some of your texts and, you know, your versions of the Bible, when you read Ephesians chapter 6, they'll say that we are not against flesh and blood, but principalities, rulers, powers in these dark high places. These are created beings who were designed to work with God in his heavenly counsel to administer his rule. Some have obeyed and continue to obey like Michael. Some have disobeyed like the devil. But it is so important to note that they are not God's equal. The devil is not God's yin to his yang. He's not his jelly to his peanut butter. 
right? They're not equal forces forever in this cosmic battle stuck against each other. God wins some and the devil wins some and it's just like, ah, brothers in arms fighting for the top bunk. My kids have bunk beds and they're always fighting over it. That's where that came from. They're not two cosmic forces at odds, but the devil is very much inferior to and subject to God. We make an error and we believe Hollywood when we assume that the devil has the same power that God does. He is a created being. God is uncreated. God is eternal. The devil is not eternal. He has a beginning and an end. It's pretty good news. Greater is he that is in you, says the scripture, Christ, than he that is in the world. Here's how C.S. Lewis put it. I like C.S. Lewis' thoughts on this. When he was asked if he believed in the devil, he said, if by the devil you mean a power opposite to God and like God, self-existent from all eternity, the answer is certainly no. There is no uncreated being except God. God has no opposite. The proper question is whether I believe in devils. I do. That is to say, I believe in angels, and I believe some of these, by abuse of their own free will, have become enemies of God. Satan, the leader or dictator of the devils, is the opposite, not of God, but of Michael. So he has rank, he had authority, he had power, but it's not equal to God. Angels were created to work for God. Sometimes you see in scripture, they're referred to as gods or sons of God or hosts of heaven. But some have rebelled. They've given up their position, their role, their responsibility, and they have attempted to take God's position for themselves. But they are not God. There is no one like our God. That is why he is worthy of our worship. And we are not their end game. These demonic forces that that set themselves up against us, we are not the point of their battle. They hate the Lord. And they know they can't beat him. And they know that they've already been defeated. They know that the cross has stripped them of their power. They know they're fighting from a defeated position. So what is the next best thing for you to do if you're them? Do everything in your power to destroy the things that your enemy, which is Christ, loves, and that is us. The devil's objective is to hurt Christ. You're just a casualty. You are personally of no interest to the devil. It is only as you grow closer to Christ that you assume any significance in the devil's scope. You become a threat and you get between the crosshairs of the enemy as you grow closer to Jesus. You become a target because he can hurt God by hurting you. That is the only power, if the devil has any power against God, it's to hurt his heart by hurting the things he loves. Any, any parent knows that to be true. Anyone who has loved ones knows, this, knows that to be true. When, when those you love hurt and it's outside your power ability to do anything, what do you, you hurt, you ache, 
And God is a good father who cares for you. And the devil knows that. So he goes after those in Christ to hurt Christ. Before you became a follower of Jesus, the only interest he had was keeping you blind. But this is not because of you. If he can blind you to the truth, if he can do everything in his power and his scheming to hold you back from God, then he hurts God. And this is the battle that is around us. It is spiritual. It is not physical. And we can fall victim as people of God to the enemy's schemes and his ploys when we fail to recognize the spirituality that is influencing our struggles that's influencing that person or that institution or that structure or system or that power behind every nation, every organization, every ideology, every movement is a spiritual reality at work and it's either godly or it's evil. Think about that as you watch the news. Think about that as you hear the, the ideal. Think about that as, you know, a wave of maybe a ideology is going through the education system. Think about that as you're frustrated with that certain person and that, you know, position of authority and the things that are coming out of their mouth or they're coming down the stream. Think about what entity is actually behind that influencing those decisions. Unjust systems are not just bad systems. Deceptive ideologies are not just wrong, bad ideologies. It's not that you're incompatible with your spouse. It's not that your boss has it out for you. It's not just that your kid is in with the wrong crowd. It's not just that you can't seem to catch a break. It's not just that the structure is broken, but these struggles, these powers, these principalities and rulers are made up of physical manifestations that we see and experience, but have inward spiritualities that we cannot. Are you tracking with me? A lot of things to say to say one thing, that when we struggle and when we fight and we battle in life, pause, step back, take a deep breath and take another look. What is at work here? The first step in overcoming the enemy is recognizing when he's at play. And Paul says to the church in Ephesus that our struggle and our wrestling is not against flesh and blood. In other words, he's saying, stop fighting with each other. Stop. It's not them, but there's something more. And the weapons you're using to fight aren't working. Have you noticed that? You get in an argument with someone you love and you argue and it just doesn't work. No matter how many times you tell them you're right and you prove it and you show all the evidence, do you win? No, you lose more ground. We pick it. We hold up signs. And maybe that helps for a season, but then someone else gets in that position, then we pick at them. He's saying, stop fighting those battles because there's something else at play and it needs a different kind of weapon. And you are a follower of Christ. You fight differently. You fight a different battle and you fight it differently. We don't wage it as the world does, but we fight it differently because we know when we recognize that there's something more at play here. When no one else is privy to that information, we are because our eyes have been opened to the truth. Now, this isn't to say 
that sometimes bad things just happen because of bad decisions. Because they do. The devil isn't our only enemy. Our flesh, our sinful nature. Sometimes we just make very silly decisions. Human society that organizes itself against God, there's three enemies of our soul, the devil, our flesh, and the world. Sometimes it's just our own flesh. Sometimes your struggle is because you just chose wrong. But know this, that while we are responsible for all of our decisions and our actions, we are held accountable for those choices. There is a devil who schemes against us to pull us from God. He doesn't want you to go to church. He doesn't want you in faith community. He wants you isolated. He wants you separated from anything that will bring joy and hope and faith. He wants you apathetic in faith. He wants you lazy. He wants you to be a consumer in church. He wants you neutral because he wants to wreck you. And he does it through deceptive ideas. He's been doing it since the fall, since the beginning. We see it in the story of Adam and Eve, right? He didn't, he didn't do anything other than what? Twist the truth, manipulate them, deceive them. I love how John Mark Comer said it. He said he uses deceptive ideas to play to our disordered des- desires that are celebrated in, a, in our fallen society. So how do we stand in this fight? It's a question we come to. How do we fight this fight? And this is what Paul gets to as he goes into the armor of God. But let me just give us the first thing today. I invite the worship team to come. The first thing that Paul says in this text, verse 10, it's right there. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That word finally means from now on. Henceforth, since we've pulled back the curtain and we see the reality as it is that that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Finally, since then, from now on, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Notice he doesn't say, be strong in yourself. He doesn't say, buck up, toughen up, walk it off. You have what it takes. He doesn't say, you have it in you. He doesn't say, muster up everything. Believe in yourself. All these messages we hear from what? Our culture. Just believe. It says, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Because you are of no match for the opposition. You do. Don't take this as a soundbite out of context. You don't have what it takes. You you don't have what it takes. We cannot stand against this enemy alone. Contrary to the message we hear, we don't have it in us. The scripture says, greater is he that is in us than he does in the world. It doesn't say, greater am I than he does in the world. That's not the message of scripture. You are greater than the enemy. It says, greater is he that is in you. And because he's in you, then you can take a stand. I can't go toe-to-toe with the devil, but I can go toe-to-toe with the devil because Christ is in me. And because Christ is in me, the enemy is nothing. 
Jesus alone is strong enough and powerful enough to stand against his schemes and without his strength and his power, I will fall victim. I will believe the lie. I will believe the deception. I will give into the temptation. I will throw in the towel in the relationship. I'll walk away. I'll take the easy isolated road. Without Christ, I can't do anything in this fight. But what's the scripture say? In Christ, I can do all things. So that is why Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord. In other words, he's saying, grow strong in the Lord. And how do we grow strong in the Lord and able to, to stand in this fight? And that's when you turn to the armor of God. That's not just something you pray as a kid to make you feel better at nighttime. We did that with our kids and now I'm trying to dismantle it with our older one. You know, I'm like, well, it's a little bit more than just a quick little, got the armor on, here I go, fight my battle. You want to fight against the enemy, then you have to grow in truth and righteousness. The gospel of peace, you have to have the word of God in your mouth, faith, to pray in the spirit. This is how we take a stand against this enemy. Be strong in the Lord. Finish the sentence. Be strong in the Lord. The only way to be victorious against our enemy in this Christian life is to grow in the Lord. And as we do, we begin to realize this, that I do not fight to win. Do not fight to win. But I fight from a winning position. I do not fight to be victorious, but I fight from victory because Christ has already won. And he is already victorious. He's already won this war. And so once I begin to recognize that, Whatever I face, whatever struggle I go against, whatever happens in my life, minuscule or significant, whatever the wrestling is, I can rest assured that one day I will rest in Christ. That regardless of whatever I face on this side of life, in the age to come, I will be with Christ. And that is why Paul can write this under arrest. How many of you would write something like this under arrest? We'd be like, oh, this sucks. This is terrible. I don't want me to do. This is the worst thing that's ever happened. And that may be true. But when I'm in Christ and I recognize the battle that I face and I recognize who's behind the curtain and what is at war behind the curtain, then I can write something like this and I can say, hey, I can stand firm right now, it's okay because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Would you stand? So may you, person listening today, may you be strong in the Lord and not yourself. Not yourself. Be strong in the Lord. May you lean on his mighty power and not yours. You may be able to go toe-to-toe with people in this world, but you are no match for this enemy without Christ. May you turn to Christ when you struggle and wrestle in this life. May your eyes be open finally to the reality behind reality. May you see the alternate reading of this reality. I want to pray for us and then the team's going to lead us in one final song. We're going to sing Battle Belongs again. I think it's just a really good way to close today. 
to declare something and maybe just draw near. I love the scripture that says, draw near to Christ, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And I pray that as the team leads us, that we would be open to maybe hear from God areas and ways in which we've been deceived or we've believed a lie or we've, we've seen that struggle against us and maybe we begin to look at that differently because I tell you, you can dismantle the power of the enemy when you recognize he's behind a struggle. Oh, wait a second. This isn't a fight between so-and-so and so-and-so. Ah, nice try, devil. Not today, Satan. Not today. So Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for this letter from Paul to us today and in revealing to us that the struggles that we face are not against flesh and blood, but there's more behind the scenes. And so I pray, God, that we would recognize where the enemy is at play and at work against us. And we would take a stand, Lord, by growing stronger in you, by putting on truth and faith and righteousness. Open our eyes to these spiritual realities that are before us and let us stand firm. I pray for all those right now in this room and God online, those within the sound of my voice who maybe are going through something and maybe they've given into the temptation or they've accepted the lie, the deception. God, maybe there's just a, a relational struggle. I pray in Jesus' name for strength, mighty strength right now. And through, through this truth, God, of the scripture from Paul, God, they would begin to see that struggle differently and take a stronger stance in faith and in prayer against the enemy of our souls. God, we bless you in Jesus' name. And as we worship you, God, as we declare this song one last time, God, speak to our hearts. As we draw near to you, draw near to us. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, team's going to be here. If you need prayer, there'll be prayer team up. In other words, let's, let's just sing and let's praise God this morning. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.